As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football League show Thursday edition and the spotlight beams onto League One, well some of it, and League Two. We'll look ahead to a truncated weekend of action, speak to Harrogate gaffer Simon Weaver and celebrate the use of the word truncated. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Nearly the weekend listener, well done for getting this far. It's me Matt here to fill you in on the latest whys and wherefores in the EFL. I'll need some people more qualified than I to give that any kind of credence, though. Good job. I've got two such chaps with me. Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sam. And Ross Embleton. Hi, Ross. Hello, Matt. Uh, right, we're going to talk to Simon Weaver shortly. Uh, first, though, I just wanted to, to touch on the state of play in League Two. Obviously, it's, it's pretty much your specialist subject, I think, Ross. Uh, FGR opening up a, a bit of a gap at the top. What, how have you found the, the kind of standard quality of the league so far? Anybody really stood out to you in a, in a good or a bad way? I think them, Forest Green, definitely. What I like about them in terms of what they've become this year is a little bit more... Um, I suppose, rounded to the league. Obviously, been a team that have played in a certain style under Mark Cooper for a number of years and, and nearly got there on a couple of occasions. But this year, I think they've just added a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more streetwise, a little bit more aggressive, can go and do different parts of the game. So I think they've been, for obvious reasons, and, and they've got that gap at the top, the standout team so far. But I think it's um, it's going to be hard to call the rest of it. I think it's a bit similar to last year in terms of trying to see who's going to come through the pack. I really fancied Bradford this year. and They're not a million miles off of it, but haven't quite set the world alight just yet. Orient have obviously looked strong. I think they've got goals in the team this year and have, and have recruited well and look a little bit similar to, to Forest Green in terms of that sort of manliness and that readiness for, for the level. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think there'll be some comings and goings, some changes in and around that sort of top three or four this year, but uh, Forest Green definitely a standout team so far. Yeah, and what Ross is saying there, Sam, is borne out by the table, just looking at Harrogate second on 19 points, and then there's only four points between them and Northampton, who are in 10th. Do you think that, that FGR might pull away a little bit, and, and who's most likely to keep pace with them? Um, no, I don't think they will, actually. I think they've had a, a brilliant start, and 
they're a great shout for promotion, clearly. But no, I don't see them being streets ahead of uh, a lot of other teams. I, I second what Ross said about Leighton Orient. Definitely, I think the the speed that Bengana has been able to get it together at Swindon is really impressive as well. Bit of a surprise to see Mansfield where they are, Newport as well. Not to say that they might might go on runs. Nigel Clough's done it before, and obviously Newport changing there. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the, the the story really is Harrogate, the way that they've started. Really strong team. I think the signings as well. It's probably a more, listen, it's a lovely part of the world, but I think it's a more, um, there's a better opportunity to prize players there, basically, that have played at a better standard given what they did last season. So I think Simon Weaver probably had a slightly easier job in that regard this year to, to woo people if you want to go and play for him. But they're a really hardworking, organised team. And now, of course, they've got they've got goals in the in the front line in Muldoon and um, and Armstrong, who's been a revelation over not just this season but but last year what he he did in the national league as well. Well, speaking of Harrogate, as I mentioned, I spoke to Simon Weaver earlier. We can hear that chat now. Simon, it's been such a great start to the season, just the one defeat in the league so far. I wonder how you planned for this, what can often be the difficult second season, if you like. Was that something you were wary of coming into the campaign? Yes, because we we, um, we could reflect back on entering into a new league. We went up to the National League from the National League North and we had a slow start actually in that second year. And everybody kept reminding me then, this is second season syndrome. And we had to relay that to the players and say, you know, we've got to prove people wrong here. Um, and, we, and then we took off, you know, and it, it went ever so well for us. But uh, this time round, it, it, it's, it's felt like we had a proper rest in the summer as opposed to last year when there was uh, just a two-week window for people to go away, even just down the road for, you know, or, or visit relatives or just go down to the south coast for, for a few days. It was a really short time, you know, where we ha- could have some respite. This year, we had seven weeks off, you know, and um, it's felt that it felt such a long period away from it. Everybody's appetite was built up again, and everybody's um, it, it, they came back refreshed and raring to go. So we haven't thought in a negative way at all. We've just been chomping at the bit. And I guess you, you had a kind of a fresh angle to it almost in that you got the opportunity to play in, in front of supporters and not limited numbers as many as who wanted to come. And, and that must have been a motivator for you and the players as well. Absolutely. It, it is like starting again and you experience in the Football League with uh, visiting these bigger stadiums and with clubs with bigger fan bases, you know, um, more so than ourselves. But um uh, the great moments, you know, turning up at these grounds and and we've enjoyed good experiences so far. But it's just that's why we're all that's a big reason why we're all in the game. Got hooked on it, it was because when we were children, we were hooked on the atmosphere of going to watch games. And and then when you're on um, the play, the our own players are on the stage now and have that, that away support with us when we're away from home or fresh support at home that's gathering momentum um, because they're seeing the progress in the club. And it's just a thrill. Uh, it's it's been a decent start, as we say, and I think a lot of that is down to, to the transfer business that, that you've managed to do. Luke Armstrong, maybe one of the standouts in that regard. How pleased have you been with his contribution and, and has that helped take some of the pressure off the likes of Jack Muldoon? Yes, yeah, uh, without a doubt. He's um, been absolutely so easy, you know, into the building. Uh, we really, really worked hard to bring in 
like-minded people into the building. So it's, you know, the ones that would embrace what we're trying to do, you know, with the culture. And, um, and it's a pretty nice culture, to be honest, you know, off the pitch. And we're trying to have that edge on it, though. And uh, these lads have all got that mix in that personality. When it, when it comes to business time, they're all serious contenders and, you know, they really want to do well. They're aspirational guys. But at the same time, they want to see things done right off the pitch and, you know, got a good set of values at the club and everybody has to adhere to them. And, and the fact that you get new players in, is that the kind of thing that keeps the challenge of managing Harrogate Town fresh for you? Obviously, it's a quite a unique circumstance in that, in that your dad's the chairman, yeah. but you're the longest serving manager in the EFL. I don't know if you ever get tempted to look elsewhere or, or the fact that you've got such a great setup there means that there's always a fresh challenge and you're still enjoying it. I think that, that, that's been the key, really, is that when you look at our stadium now when people, ex-players come back or even relatives come, come from watch uh, who haven't been for quite some time, they go, oh, it's, an, it's kicked on. The standard's kicked on. The um, the surface has kicked on. The, the, the surroundings, the infrastructure, the stands, it's evolved pretty quickly, actually. You know, when you think of the first few years, it was real, just hard, hard graft with very little support. And then um, the last few years, since going full-time, we've been promoted twice, you know, in four years. And, and um, you know, we're, we're enjoying how it's evolved. You're asking the question there about would you ever be keen to look elsewhere? Um, if we continue to evolve and we can realise our ambitions here, then then fine. You know, and we obviously we need to keep boosting the numbers in attendance to give ourselves a chance to be sustainable and also achieve dreams. If that happens, then then it's perfect. You know, but uh, um, if not, if we reach a ceiling where we can't go through, then then you have to look at everything, as I'm sure every every manager does. Um, we always like to finish with a, a couple of serious, hard-hitting questions. Um, so here's yours. When I put Simon Weaver into Google, yours is obviously the first name that comes up. The second is Simon Weaver, the organic artisanal cheesemaker in the heart of the Cotswolds. So, so you know, it, it begs the question, are you an artisanal cheese guy? That They do a, a truffle Gloucester, which is apparently a single Gloucester infused with minced black summer truffles, or, or are you more a kind of straight-up extra-mature cheddar slash baby bell? Well, actually, funny enough, uh, one of our pals uh, must have done the same exercise and, and bought me some Simon Weaver cheese last Christmas. So uh, I enjoyed it. It was great to... Uh, I mean, I'm not really a, a cheese lover normally, but this this Simon Weaver cheese was, was pretty good. So, yeah, I, I'd have some more of it. Excellent. Um, and final question. Harrogate's been voted the happiest place to live three years in a row. Do you concur? And what do you put that down to? Is it the football team? Is it the cream teas? Is it something else? Oh, well, I think it's it, it could be a mixture of everything. But, you know, I don't think we were really on anyone's radar in Harrogate, um, the football club, that is, uh, a few years ago. But now I think we're, we've been embraced, you know, and if it adds to a bit of happiness through the different generations in, in the town, which is a great town, you know, and it's a, it's a beautiful place, to be honest. So um, see why people are happy there. But if we generate a bit of happiness too, then that's, uh, that's great news. Simon Weaver there. Unlike namesake Jackie, he does have the authority. Like Simon Weaver, Ross, you worked with your dad in football. How did you find that? Yeah, a bit of a reverse to uh, to the situation that Simon finds him in. But um, when I first took over at the academy at Leighton Orient, my dad had been a, a mainstay figure at the club for about 
between 15 and 20 years, really. So um, it obviously got me involved in coaching and was a big person that I was involved with. And then one day I turned up in the office and I just realised as I walked in that I was then my dad's boss. Uh, back then, we weren't fortunate enough to have too many full-time staff. So I, fortunately, I only had to see him a couple of evenings a week and a Saturday morning. But it was surreal to begin with because I wanted to try and make my mark. I was a young person managing an academy uh, and, and let's say wanted to try and show what I was all about. So that then meant trying to implement new ideas, different approaches, uh, sometimes rocking the boat a little bit. So um, sitting around the dinner table was obviously a bit of a interesting scenario sometimes. And my mum got caught in the middle of a few conversations. But on the whole, once it settled down and I sort of understood the way I working, how not to upset him, it was a really good ally, a really good person to have because my dad's always been a big part of, and even when I was managing, a big part of, I suppose, helping me manage people and communicate with people. Um, and that was a big thing that he gave me real support with because I was a young person dealing with parents who were older than me. I was dealing with coaches that were more senior to me and, and he used to give me a lot of advice. So it was surreal, but... Um, but but something I look back obviously with fondness. Not many people can say they they went to work with their with their family members as close as that for you know at some stage in their career. So it was a, it was a great thing to look back on, and I'm sure for Simon and a magnificent thing for them to experience together. I mean, success for anybody galvanizes groups of people, and you know you you create lasting memories forever. But oh my god, to do that you know alongside family members and and your dad like that, it, it must be creating incredible memories. Yeah, particularly to do it at Wembley. Uh, there'll be more family ties as this pod goes on, by the way, listener. A couple of news items I wanted to get the chaps' opinions on uh, before we get to previewing, though. League Two and the National League, there is the potential for testing, bringing alcohol back to the stand. So as you'll probably know, listener, at the moment in the Football League, you can have a drink in the concourses, but not in view of the pitch. Sam? I'm kind of on the fence about this one. I used to love going to, to Dulwich Hamlet and, and having four pints of, of craft ale whilst watching the game and, and eating some kind of, you know, food cart food in, in view of the pitch. But that was a bit more pleasant and serene kind of atmosphere. I'm not convinced that it, it will go down so well at Exeter or Swindon. No, I'm, I'm completely on the, the fence as well. I think there's there's negatives and there's there's real positives. I suppose <laughs> something in my limited experience of rugby that, irritates the life out of me is people being on the move the whole time for throughout the game um the prospect of the the pints going up in the air which seems to be the norm now as well yeah I mean the light-hearted things that may be problematic but the, the bigger picture I suppose is there's a I don't know it's gonna sound like a bore here but there's a there is a big drinking culture with football and I get that with the away days you know when you're getting on the train you're going to the other end of the country and such like, but I've never really got it myself in terms of the drinking around the actual 90 minutes. You know, would it be too difficult to have all the stadiums dry for, for that period? I've never seen it for me. I think I had a few drinks before a cup final once and it was a miserable experience. So I, I don't know. I suppose less people congregating on the, the concourse, given the world we live on live in right now, would be a, a positive to it. And, and maybe it would... It would stop the binge drinking potentially um, to the extent that it is now if people can do it, you know, in a more more uh, sophisticated fashion and just have a drink before and uh, a drink during and, and what have you. But 
I, I don't know. For, for me, it's never been a big part of my experience going to the game, so it's difficult for me to have a strong opinion on it, I suppose. Yeah, and football grounds invariably serve crap, pissy lager, which, which almost makes it kind of pointless. Um, the other thing, Ross, I think about this is, is those images that we got in Hungary last month of the England players being pelted with admittedly plastic cups of beer, but it's not a good look to have players drowning in booze when they're, when they're trying to do their job. No, not at all. And I think probably what, like the sole reasons really to, to, to try to put the barriers up against uh, against having it and against that, I think it's always then difficult because you're punishing the sensible people at the same time who do want to sit back and in, enjoy a pint or a couple of pints while they're, while they're watching football, you know. I think um, the other thing it might do, Sam mentioned it there about, about the, you know, the concourses and queuing at half-time. I've learned in the last six months that going to games and getting a cup of coffee at half-time is an absolute nightmare. So that might, um, might have an impact, as Sam mentioned. The other really interesting aspect of looking at it was we discussed it quite a lot at Orient because we were trying to come up with ways where you could obviously earn more money and, and bring more money in, especially after the you know situations clubs are finding themselves in during COVID. And one of the things with American owners that was discussed was how it's managed in American sport, whether that be American football or particularly baseball, is that there's like a culture where people are, are walking around chucking you a packet of peanuts and turning up with the um, you know with a with a with a Ghostbuster type packs on their backs to serve you the probably quite cheap lager that you're talking about, Matt. But um, it then obviously brings a different approach to it. But like you say, they're at the forefront of everyone's concerns. I'm sure that there's always going to be that donut that wants to throw something on the pitch or, or or people that do take it to excess. I think you're certainly going to get that in the um, in the early stages, aren't you? Until people start to uh, to learn that you can enjoy it as you know as well as um, indulging or overindulging if that's what your preferences are. I went to a Papa John's game at Millwall a couple of years ago and they didn't have as many stewards on as normal and one bloke just brought a pint into the stands and got away with it and I looked around five minutes later and the other 3,000 people in the stand all had a pint of beer as well (laughs) and the atmosphere in the second half was a lot livelier than you'd normally get at a Papa John's trophy game. Um, the other issue I want to talk about, not quite so lighthearted, Callum Robinson hasn't had the COVID vaccine despite catching the virus twice. Uh, Ross, I just I just wonder with this, obviously it's, it's down to individual choice and, that, and that's the line that people are using and it's totally valid. But is there a bit of a mob mentality when it comes to things like this in football? I.e. if somebody in, say, the Lake Orient dressing room who is either well-respected or has a big mouth says, I'm not getting it for this reason, is that likely to kind of permeate throughout the dressing room and it's more difficult for people to, to, to be individual and make their own choice about it just, just because of the nature of a football environment as, as a kind of workplace? Yeah, I think that's like that on the whole, isn't it? I think it'd be like that in a number of schools and different environments that are wrestling with trying to get people to have the vaccine at the moment. So there's certainly going to be that pressure. I think just people being more senior and and you know not necessarily the big characters in a dressing room, their opinions and their ideas naturally uh, impose themselves on the younger, more inf- influenced individuals within a group and within your, your team and your changing room. So I think it causes real difficult circumstances and I think if I was somebody sitting at the top of the club trying to instruct and communicate with different people in order to try to to get them to be vaccinated or not I think you leave yourself in a really difficult scenario because um, a lot of it does whether we like it or not sit back and come back down to, to your own individual opinions doesn't it so 
Um, I think like the answer to your question is directly yes. Any any big discussion or any big decision that needs to be made will definitely be influenced by the big characters or certainly have an impact. Sam, a slight concern here, and really it's not that important in the grand scheme of things, but, but I worry that, that footballers in this country built up so much goodwill over the pandemic with, with the fantastic things that they did in terms of helping out you know, locally or with the NHS in the case of the, the Premier League players. This is going to erode some of that goodwill towards them, isn't it? The numbers that we're seeing of players who've been vaccinated are pretty shockingly low, to be honest, and, and yet you've got people like Callum Robinson looking for special treatment, being able to travel to red list countries because of their job, despite the fact that they haven't been vaccinated. That's going to create a divide between some supporters and players potentially. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that um, because it's such an emotive subject and it's affecting absolutely everyone. So yeah, and it's, it gives me a bit of a sore head really, because, you know, everyone's got such a strong opinion on this. I suppose, you know, like, well, different to what Ross was saying, you know, in terms of a dressing room, you maybe can be influenced. You know, if I think back to that kind of uh, bloke I was at 25, I think I'm very different now and uh, and possibly that would have had an effect on there. But we're talking about such a huge thing here that I'd like to think that you close ranks within your family like I have done and, and you've made the, the decision based on factors there. And I think there's a difference, as Ross said there, there's a difference between personal circumstances and your beliefs as an individual, as opposed to someone just being lazy or or believing that it doesn't affect them. You know, I think that we have to to respect people, you know, if they've had a a personal issue or if their belief has led them to not want to have it. So it's such a, it's such a difficult, difficult thing, obviously, everyone's personal circumstances are different. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Matt, that, you know, this isn't going to go down well just because of the emotion involved. All right. It's high time we spoke about some actual football. We'll take a little pause for the cause and then we'll get to previewing some weekend games next. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week, I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Only four games happening in League One this weekend. We went big on Wickham last week. Check out our Gareth Ainsworth interview in the archives if you missed it. So we'll skip the Chairboys v the Jills and go straight to Portman Road. Uh, what with Ipswich's stack squad? You'd think they could muster up enough internationals to give themselves the weekend off. Alas, they can't. So fellow underwhelmers Shrewsbury head to Suffolk. Paul Cook doing a decent Paula Abdul impression at the minute. Two steps forward, two steps back for his team. Uh, Sam, I did notice that Joe Pickett got his first goal from open play in the uh, Pizza Cup win in midweek. Important for them to get him firing because we've spoken at length about the fact that this integration of all these new players hasn't really worked so far. Yeah, no, I I noted that as well. Yeah, I thought that was a, oh, it was a show of their their strength, wasn't it? It flexed their muscles in terms of the team they can put out in that in that competition, and not only only him, but Connor Chaplin getting a goal as well. So they've got great options. I wasn't surprised to see them lose at Atkinson, 
to wheel out one of my favourite cliches. That is the le- my least favourite place to go and play football in the entirety of the Football League. Um, if your attitude isn't spot on, they can run all over you there. Yes, it's a small crowd, but it's quite an intimidating small crowd and you can hear John Coleman's voice bellowing at all the officials from the opposite corner flag. So I've had a few shoo-ins there and I wasn't surprised to see that outcome. And I wasn't I wasn't too enamoured with Sam Morsey's comments after the game. He was a bit disrespectful towards Accrington and you, you can't be considering what they've grown to, to be now. You know, it's a, And they play good stuff as well at, at times. They can mix it, but that's not a... You know, it's not a team that is just um, uh, a bunch of bullies that play direct football. So I thought that was in poor taste. Um, but yeah, this game at the weekend, almost must win really. You know, if they've got any any hopes of catching the, I'm going to say the automatic positions. I mean, I think that would be just an incredible achievement. But the playoff positions, you're looking at an unbelievable points return they're going to have to get, you know, considering the way they've started. So... Yeah, almost a must-win game. And the fixtures have been pretty kind to Ipswich. They, they really have. They had a horrendous record against the top sides last season. Um, I think they've only played MK Dons in terms of the top six this season so far. So another game they, they should win. And I would expect them to, but I probably wouldn't expect them to keep a clean sheet either. Yeah, they start the weekend in 19th. Win here, they could be six points off the playoff places. Uh, a win for Shrewsbury, Ross, would take them out of the relegation zone. They come into this on the on the back of successive defeats in the league, albeit narrow ones to, to decent teams in Wickham and Bolton. Um, clearly, their season's going to be all about survival. Do you, do you think they've got the tools to, to manage to do that? I, I would like to think so. And I think when you look at, um, for different reasons to Ipswich, some of the changes that they made in in the week were interesting. Uh, like an uh, important goal for Pike, I think, with Louis Lloyd coming into the into the team as a young young youngster and getting a goal on his debut might just give them a little bit of a spark. And I suppose those games in midweek are really important for t- players like that in order to try to force their way into the team and then hopefully change the fortunes of the side a little bit. I was, I was obviously the recent recent defeat. And the missed penalty was a was a real. I don't like using the word embarrassment too disrespectfully, but you know the, the the state of the game to to sort of try and lift the penalty down the middle at the stage that they did was obviously obviously of a real disappointment. So I think yeah, you're 100 spot on. We know what the season's going to look like for um, for Shrewsbury, but you know you, they're going to be wanting to look at a game like this against a big team that you're going to you look at and think, well, you know this might be the one where Ipswich turn it around and start winning a few games in in succession. But hopefully they'll be looking at that as a real opportunity to go to go there in you know, big environment, big circumstances, and and go and cause a, another upset for Ipswich. Yeah, that's been uh, the blueprint for a lot of teams, hasn't it, this season? I think Newport have won there in the Cup and, and Bolton put five past them too. And of course, Morecambe got that point on opening day as well. Uh, Ipswich have won the last 10 home meetings against Shrewsbury, by the way. That goes all the way back to the 1950s. They've never lost against them at Portman Road. Uh, Burton Albion make the trip south to take on Plymouth Argyle at Home Park. The home side will go top of the table with a win here, whilst victory for Burton would mean only goal difference would keep them out of the playoff places. Uh, Ross, I think it's been a bit of a, a bit of a dereliction of duty on our part not to talk much about Plymouth this season. Unbeaten since the opening day in, in the league. Um, we ought to lavish some praise on them. Um, Ryan Lowe in particular is doing a great job down there. 
Yeah, I really like what Plymouth are about. I always went, we went there as one of my first games in management, and I, I remember standing there. The stage, the stand behind the dugouts wasn't finished, but the rest of the ground was full. Like I say, full, but very busy. Uh, they played a really good style of football. I think they've added a little bit more steel this year to the way that they go about their performances. So it's not just all about in, a, in the manner that they got promoted, albeit a couple of seasons ago. It was you know, really about them playing good style of football and dominating the ball. This year, I think they've shown that they can go to places and have a bit more about them, defend if they need to defend and you know catch teams out on the counter-attack if they need to. So... But at the same time, when you go there, when you go to Plymouth, it's a tough place to go. It's a, you know, a nice place, obviously, but an environment where the crowd, when they really get behind them, which I'm sure they are at the moment, and in the manner that their, their performances are coming together, it can be a you know real real fortress for them. So I'm really pleased. I like the way that Ryan's teams play. I like what the job that he's done over a period of time there now, and and um, like I say with that that resilience that they've had added on top of the control of the ball that they like to have. I really think that, or really think, but would like to continue to see them progress this year. And I think they've got a great opportunity to do that at home against Burton this weekend. Yeah, they've got a goal scorer too in, in Ryan Hardy. Only Cole Stockton's got more than him uh, in the league so far this season. Burton, Sam, would love a Ryan Hardy. Only the bottom three have scored fewer goals than the Brewers so far. Is, is it too obvious to say that's why they're not currently in the in the playoff positions, is it worth Jimmy dusting off his boots? Yeah, um, I, I don't know actually because I think a lot of other teams in League One would be jealous of the the options they've got. They've got Jebison now, obviously on loan from Sheffield United, and and Kane Hemmings is back fit, and they've both been amongst the goals. Yet in the last game, he went with um, Lucas Aikins, who I really like. By the way, I think he's been. He's been unbelievable for Burton and I'm sure a lot of teams at that level would would take him, no question. But he played down the middle and obviously those two players I've already mentioned were introduced later on. So I think he's got the options there and they're having quite a lot of attempts. I think they're the fourth most shots in the division, bizarrely, but it's not um, translating to shots on target and goals. I think they... Um, two shots on target at Wimbledon, three at Crewe and one at Bolton in the last three away games. So maybe they're just a bit conservative. And I think that's what has kind of been behind Bert, Bert and success under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. So you can't you, you can't be too hard on them, but I would expect those guys I've mentioned to start, well, creating stuff for themselves or get a better supply line to them. And um, I, I think they'll be absolutely fine. I think this will be a low scoring game. And I think Burton will go there in real confident mood after two Excellent results, beating Portsmouth and drawing with Wimbledon after they'd been on a real slide, you know, after a really fast start to the season. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if this was the game that it, it came back together from Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and they come back from um, Devon with a, with at least a point. Uh, Ross, as a coach, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. We talk a lot about Burton having one of the smallest budgets. You know, when they're in the championship, it was the smallest budget. They're in League One, it's one of, if not the smallest budgets. But they have actual St George's Park as their training base. Is that not a massive advantage for them over everybody else? Yeah, it's an incredible opportunity for them, isn't it, to to build on. I think when you look at... um... Even some clubs even further down, you know, like Stockport have taken over Man United's old training ground or, or what was Berry's in between that somewhere along the line. So I think it's a massive advantage. Uh, and I think if there's little 
I suppose you've got to try to look for the little margins that you can sell yourself, your club, and what you're about on. And if you're a, a Burton Albion, I use the term loosely, punching above their weight. I don't mean that, again, disrespectfully. But I think if you're a, a team like that, a club like that, that are competing with one or two around you, that's got to be a factor to swing one or two around. That's got to be something that you're really going to use to your advantage because what a fantastic place to go to work every day. Those facilities are, are absolutely magnificent. So I think you'd be doing everything that you can to to sell that and make the most of that in order to try to just nick nick one and get a, a, one more over the line that that perhaps ordinarily might might try to go somewhere else. I, I think the job that, that that Jimmy's doing there is is fantastic, and some of the limitations that they reach in terms of the amount of goals that they score may just come from the fact that he's so concerned of, of, of the club that they are, you know, go to places even at home and try to be difficult to beat. Like like Sam said, they're having shots, but it might be more, you know, picking up on those opportunities that do become available and, and, and sort of shoot on site type attitude, whereas, you know, and have that approach to be difficult to break down and, and play against. Off the top of your head, Sam, ever seen anybody kick a ball harder than Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank? No. It was incredible, wasn't it? I sometimes just find myself on YouTube just watching him kick the ball and thinking, how on earth are you doing that? Um, yeah. no that's got to be a motivator can... in training, isn't it? If he just takes a free kick. Like, okay, there's yeah, there's no one comes close from, no. from the distance. Ju- Julian Dix maybe from the penalty spot, but nobody from outside the area that can compete. I went to a seminar and he was on it in the week and I could not believe the size of his legs. I know he's been retired for a little while and it might be a little bit more relaxed muscle, but Jesus, the tops of his legs were almost as wide as my body. Incredible. What a lovely image. Uh, right, that's stop in <laughs> League One for us is Hillsborough. Sheffield Wednesday meet Bolton Wanderers in the... Huh, are those two in League One now, Derby? Uh, Wednesday start of the weekend 12, Bolton a point outside the playoffs. Uh, Sam, Wednesday started really well, didn't they? Three wins in four, no goals conceded in that time. They had that good win at at Wigan last week, but that's their only in the subsequent six league outings. What's gone wrong for for Moore's men? Again, I mean, there's been been 19 goals in their 10 games, which is far and away the fewest. So it's not surprising that they're pretty good defensively and they're just not creating enough um, going the other way that... In truth, I mean, the stat I wanted to tell you, which I, I could not believe, the, the problem, the, the biggest problem is going behind in games. And we've seen it, um, it was at Morecambe where they absolutely battered Morecambe early on in the season, but Morecambe ended up winning 1-0. Since they beat Brentford away from home, this is 2019, Wednesday's record cut from coming from behind, one none, drawn two, lost 32. So... I think sometimes you can get a little bit carried away, but I mean, that's clear as day, isn't it? You know, they, they just, I don't know whether teams camp in and they they can't break them down or psychologically there's an issue with this current group of players. But I mean, that is just, that's astounding. Like I, I can't get my head around it. But I think at the moment, I spoke about it last time we, we touched on Sheffield Wednesday. They seem to find a way to beat, was it Wigan they, they won at where they were really robust, played a 4-4-2, two energetic strikers. And he seems to be having to accommodate Barry Bannon, which sounds bizarre because he is probably their best creative footballer, but came back in against Oxford and they got beaten. So I think 
they're just losing something when they're playing, I suppose, more sophisticated stuff, as bizarre as it sounds, and a bit more of a direct style without him is is something that Darren Moore's going to have to think about. But yeah, I mean, the, the, that's, that statistic is something that they're going to gonna have to arrest and they're going to have to find a better formula moving forward because the, the fare that's been served up at the moment at Hillsborough is is not quite good enough. And, you know, being in the middle of the table right now, I think he's had 26 games in charge. Inevitably, he's going to come under increasing pressure. Yeah, it might be a little less pressure on this particular home game. Not an oppo will view it as a as a cup final going to Hillsborough, I guess. Um, but Bolton coming into it, Ross, in decent nick. They swatted aside Liverpool's kids in the in the pizza trophy. That made it three wins on the spin. And that, that's a good response to those back defa- back-to-back defeats against Rotherham and Sunderland. Yeah, and I think there's one or two players that are coming alive in the group now. Um, Sarcevic is a, was a very, very good player for them. We touched upon Plymouth, obviously, had made a real impact there in terms of their promotion from League Two to League One. But a player that sort of started to come alive again. Um, he's really creative around the box, capable of scoring, capable of creating. Um, doesn't always do a huge amount going back the other way, but I think the, the team is well set up now to give him the opportunity to be that player that makes runs into the box and, and creates and scores, makes opportunities for himself and other people. And the other one is um, Dapo Afalana, boy that they signed from from West Ham, a player that I sort of followed his career quite a bit because he got sold to West Ham from Solihull Moors from National League to the Premier League. He's like mind-blowing really in terms of a move like that for a young lad. And, and then he never really found himself. So what I love about a lad like that is he's sort of come again. He's, you know, he's gone, he's gone and seen the, the, the bright lights further up the ladder and then, you know, fallen away. But now he's found himself after that, after that loan period that he's, uh, He's really finding finding his goal scoring form. So I think two players like that that are real added adding real quality and performing to a great level give give Bolton the opportunity to win games. Because I think there was a few moments earlier in the season I saw them at Cambridge where they couldn't break the opposition down. They looked a little bit dominant, Bolton, big game, big team coming to town, but couldn't quite finish a team off, even when they had all the ball. So um the impact that those two players are having recently. Uh, are certainly going to give them an opportunity to continue to kick on what's been a good start, but but you know, take them even further up the table. I, I, I noted this game as a bit of a '90s football manager game, really, isn't it? To look at the, <laughs> look at them in League One. I'm, I'm sure there's a number of them this year, but when you look at Bolton playing Sheffield Wednesday, it does bring back some memories. Yeah, David Hurst versus John McGinley up front. Um, <laughs> it's actually going to be the first time they've met since 1819. Wednesday won both games to nil. Then two divisions between them last season, of course. Uh, Abby, can we get some odds on those games from Paddy Power, please? You can indeed. All the home sides in League One are the favourites. Uh, so Ipswich are three to four, Plymouth eleven to ten, uh, Sheffield's uh, five to four, and Wickham eight to fifteen. But I don't know. I feel like I've been slightly convinced by by Sam and Ross that Bolton might be the the team to back uh, in that particular match. They're coming in at twenty one to ten. Uh, so I put together a little acca of Ipswich, Plymouth, Bolton, and and Wickham, and that comes in at sixteen to one. You may like that. You may not. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, right, League Two next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. And let's look forward then to a couple of the standout fixtures in League 2 this weekend. Leighton Orient make the long schlep north to take on Barrow. Uh, Sam, Mark Cooper, somebody who you know well, dare I say he's done a really good job at Barrow? <laughs> uh, on the face of it, yeah. Sitting seventh after no, a fair chunk of the season. It's not a chunk, is it? But, you know, they've played enough games to be taken seriously now, I suppose. Just the one home defeat, um, that, that crazy Friday night game against um, Colchester. And they played, you know, some of the division's biggest hitters. I mean, this run that they're on now, point at Bradford and beating Newport and, and Mansfield, not to be sniffed at. And, you know, they've got Orient this weekend, who I, I think I've seen enough to say they're going to be in the in the shake-up. And, and Port Vale, probably a little bit of a dark horse, Port Vale. But this is a... If they can manoeuvre these last two fixtures and remain unbeaten, that's a hell of a statement. Um, again, I, I look at... The work that they've done in the loan market, the two boys from Leeds have, I think, been, you know, up there for the best signings in in League Two. Stevens and and Gotts, I think, have catapulted them into a position where they can dream about the the playoffs. Ollie Banks is going to be missing for this game, who I think Mark Cooper's been using as a bit of a um, kind of hybrid between defence and midfield. He's got four goals already, so I think those experienced players are are vital to their chances. You know, the ones that have played in the league and tasted success before, he's definitely had playoff campaigns at that level. So be interesting to see how they adjust with without him. But I see a lot of good. I see a lot of good in, in this side. Been impressed with Josh Gordon, um, a player that I've always liked offensively. They probably haven't got, you know, someone who you'd put your house on getting you, you 20 goals, but I don't think that's going to matter. I think they've got enough offensive weapons to... Um, to, to be competitive. So this is a real tricky one, you know, off the back of a, a, a bad result for Leighton Orient. No, it's not necessarily a bad performance, but a bad result last time out. They won't want to lose two on a spin. A couple of notes from Barrow's midweek Papa John's game against Fleetwood. Joe Grayson was part of the Barrow side that, that lost to Dad Simon's Fleetwood team. We were speaking about family ties earlier. And also Barrow brought keeper Scott Maloney off the bench to play in midfield for the closing stages of the game. Um, yeah, it, it's a competition that's got everybody's respect, I think we could uh, <laughs> not say. Um, Ross, you're contractually obliged to uh, to talk about Leighton Orient whenever we have you on. What's the weather like around Brisbane Road just now? Sam mentioned that that defeat against Port Vale, which was not a bad performance, but not a great result. Nice. And it, no one ever likes losing late, but to lose that late is... is um... It was surreal, to be honest. I had the, I had the radio in the car and they, they scored in the 86th minute and you think, right, brilliant, what a great result that is to go away to Port Vale and, and, and win there. Certainly this season, but at any stage winning at Port Vale. 
and then it went crazy, didn't it? I think crazy in terms of obviously the fact that Port Vale then equalised and then nicked it all within all within injury time, pretty much. And then the craziness of what happened with the goalkeeper. Um, you know, probably not something that we want to touch too much on because I don't think any of us probably really know exactly what what went on. But I know there was some some racial abuse and some tweets that that went out, which you never ever want to see. So a real, you know, real crazy period that that went on. I think what they've done quite well in, when they've had disappointing results this year, Orient, is they've bounced back. I know the 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 previously if they've you know if they've lost their family opportunity to come back and, and and win or perform well in the next game. And I think what they've done, similar to what Sam just touched upon there with with Barrow in terms of some of the signings that they've made and the recruitment in terms of the maturity to the team and helping the, the good, young, energetic players that, that they've got around them, the likes of Omar Beckles, uh, Darren Prattley, had unbelievable experience, not just for League Two, but for, but but beyond that as well. And it gives a real uh, platform for the likes of Hector Kipriano and the young players that they've got around them to, to fit in and piece in and not have too much responsibility. So I think that that ability to bounce back, that maturity that they've got in their team, they can do a little bit of everything. I haven't watched them too often, but they... They've been able to, you know, play against against teams at stages this year, but certainly with the, with the uh, personnel at the top end of the pitch, Harry Smith's you know sort of found himself a little bit at Orient so far. Um, he makes them a really really difficult team to play against, and then when you sprinkle in people like Archibald around him, they've got some uh, some real talent as well as those players, like I say, that can that can help them cope at the level now. Yeah, and just to update the the story that we reported on Monday, which Ross mentioned there, the Orient keeper Lawrence Vigoru has received a personal apology from Port Vale chair Carol Shanahan after he suffered racial abuse at Vale Park last Saturday. And the final game we're going to chat about goes down at Field Mill, just a mile and a half from the hospital where I was born, believe it or not, but it's Mansfield who are in need of some medical attention ahead of their game with Oldham. Sorry. Listener, uh, Ross, on Monday's show, I made a brief reference to the fact that Nigel Clough might be under a bit of pressure. He's, he's a big name in League Two, but no win since August. They spent a lot of money on new players. They're only a place above the relegation zone. Must win games in October. I'm not sure if that's possible, but this isn't far off for him. Yeah, I mean, I've, you would expect that that they would that he would be given a bit more time potentially because of who he is and what he's done, which which unbelievably so should be the case in terms of credibility that he built up over his career but certainly there's going to be questions asked the, the thing that always puzzles me and certainly this year about Mansfield is that you constantly see it as a tough place to go you constantly watch whoever they're playing and think they're in for a tough game but obviously their form and their league position doesn't suggest that in any way shape or form you mentioned there about their recruitment and they always re- seem to recruit well they're always competitive in terms of the money that they spent, the wages that they pay, the, the players that they bring in. But I felt like this summer that they really prioritised the top end of the pitch. You look at the likes of Hawkins, Danny Johnson, who I know really well, had a great season last year, brought in good money, good players. The top end of the pitch looks really healthy. And then obviously, you know, terrible circumstances that happen at the back to a number of individuals, but they look really vulnerable and they looked really vulnerable before the in- injuries hit and the injuries came in. So you can't help but wonder that he obviously has a clear picture of the way that he wants his teams to play and the way that he, he goes about trying to get results. But they do look very, very weak at the back. Um, I suppose what I would say is that listening to Nigel Clough's comments last week after the game, he was quite pleased with the performance and where they were within that game, despite 
despite being turned over, can't get my words out, despite being beat, you know, felt quite hard done by in terms of the decision that led to him conceding the goal. And, you know, like I say, it was reflected in terms of, in terms of what, what Mark Cooper also said about the, 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 the points that they picked up that they were probably a little bit hard done by, but that continues to happen, doesn't it, when you're in the type of form that you're in. So, like I say, I, I continuously keep thinking, oh, that Mansfield at home this week, they've got whoever, whoever they play against, you, you're constantly thinking it's a, it's a tough game for people, but it hasn't been that way so far this season. Sam, you only need to look at the table to see what a big game this is. I wonder if you can make a case to say that Oldham actually come into it in a better state of mind. I'm talking purely in terms of what's happening on the pitch. Their only league wins this season have come away from home. There's there's not much expectation on them. Maybe this is a game that would suit them better than it will Mansfield? I'd completely agree with you, actually. I, th- I think coming into this one, I think in defeat to Harrogate, they disappointed to lose at home, but they hit the woodwork a couple of times at a stack of shots. Obviously, they've they've scored six goals in in ten games and got seven points from a possible thirty. So it's been a pretty desperate start. But they beat Rochdale away from home recently. Um, I think the signs defensively that things are coming together. I think if you take Armstrong and um, Muldoon or, or just one of them out of Harrogate's team and stick him in Oldham's team last week, it could have been a different outcome. And and football's like that, you know, it's, it's fine margins. So they'll be looking towards Bahambula for one. Uh, in in this game, remember Mansfield having big issues down their right hand side previously this season. I think it was against Bradford, so he's got to come to the fore. He's got a couple of goals to his name. But I look at the Oldham squad, and I don't know if I'm going in big here, but I think they've got enough in that squad. Maybe I know there's loads going on there, but I just think I'd be very surprised if Keith Curl was going to be the, the manager to take them, you know, out of the league. I think that they've got enough quality there. I look at Durnley. I look at Batash, the lad they've taken from QPR recently. I saw him at Orient in the in the, the League Cup recently. He was the, probably one of the best players on the pitch. So I think they've got enough talent there. It's probably making some more chances. Clearly, when you look that they've only notched six goals this season, that's a that's a big issue. But yeah, I, I think they can go there. Probably shackles off a little bit to a, a... It'll be a vociferous crowd, but probably not for the right reasons on, on Saturday. So be looking to to spoil um you know Nigel Clough's day again. And just just to add to that as well, sorry Matt, but they um the boy the, the boy they've got coming through there is really exciting. I don't know if you've, if, if anyone's seen him Vaughn the boy he's just been called up to play for for Ireland under 19s over this weekend which is obviously really unfortunate. But he's he scored last week. He's extremely exciting to add to those players. I think they brought some good players in as well like Jamie Bowden from from Tottenham. They signed Usi uh, say that we had at Leighton Orient adds a little bit more steel to your team as well who, who they've been missing so I don't think they're far away at all I watched them earlier in the season and they actually looked like Keith Curl's Carlisle team they were trying to play a little bit more than his Northampton team did so I wonder if hopefully with that little bit of time for them that Keith Curl can imprint a few more of his ideas and try to evolve them away maybe from what they were a little bit last season and and start to add a little bit more steel to the way that they go about games. I think that was what I noticed when I saw them play against Orient. They looked really vulnerable because they almost looked like they were playing a bit of a different style than perhaps that that they might get to later on in the season. 
Abby, we're talking up Oldham like they're nailed on to, to win this game. I'm assuming that Paddy Power therefore feel otherwise. They do. You're spot on. Uh, so an opportunity potentially for some value. Uh, Oldham are 10-3 to in this game with Mansfield 3-4. to For some context, uh, Paddy Power have got Mansfield as more likely to beat Oldham than Forest Green to beat Swindon. They come in at 4-5 to in that one. Only just, but still more likely. So yeah, that 10-3 to looks a little bit tempting at the moment listening to, to Sam and Ross. As for our other match, Barrow, Leighton, Orient. Barrow come in at uh, 29 to 20 with Leighton, Orient 9 to 5. The draw 21 to 10. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, that'll just about do it for today, though. Before we go, you'll know, listener, that Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp all went down the other day. Uh, It prompted TalkSport to tweet, with Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp all down, now's the time to let us know your most controversial football opinion. Uh, A Tranmere supporters group replied, getting relegated by 0.14 points with 10 games left, which was voted for by the teams you could catch. That was a bit weird. Uh, It leads me to ask, what is the one thing in football that you just can't let go of. Uh, Sam, what have you got? Well, I, w- I wouldn't be English and a football fan if it, the answer wasn't immediately the hand of God. Just, I mean, come on. Uh, All right, the, Terry Butcher. Yeah, it was a long time as, ago. <laughs> how have they not seen that? It's unbelievable. Um, but from a personal point of view, I'll go back to my under-12s or something, County Cup uh, final, 1-0 up. It's a prestigious trophy, the County Cup, by the way. Anyone who's played mm, something. Yeah, it's football, for the whole county, know, isn't it? Yeah. Ne- never won it. Never won it. And um, a lad called William Salthouse, I hope he's not listening, but he is now an agent, a high-flying agent, gave away a, a free kick of which the opposition scored from, and uh, we lost the replay. So in comical fashion, William Salthouse has always got the, uh, the blame amongst my peers for uh, keeping us away from that uh, particular bit of silverware. Sorry, Salty, to uh, rub salt into your wounds if you're listening. A uh, <laughs> long time ago as it was. Uh, Ross, I've sprung this on you. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I've got a few. I think uh, I, I won't go into too much detail about getting a sack, but I suppose that's probably got to be one of them. <laughs> uh, Frank Lampard's crossbar. Is that, is that Euros or the, oh, or the World 2010 Cup? 2010 World Cup, yeah. yeah the one that hurts me even more than that is Gaza not quite reaching the ball across the box in '96. Uh, but to go in onto the same level as Sam, I think missing a penalty on my birthday in the District Cup semi-final. So it wasn't quite the County Cup. It weren't the same dizzy heights. But I hit the post on the day of my birthday. We won, but it still it still still lingers. Yeah, it will do. Um, mine's Gaza related as well. You won't be surprised to learn it, listener. 1991 FA Cup final. Brian Clough trying to win the only trophy that had ever alluded to him. And as he said in subsequent years, I might have done it too had the referee done his job and sent off a fat but talented young man called Gascoigne. Um, he should have gone for the first one on Gary Charles, never mind the second one on Gary Parker. And then maybe I wouldn't have spent the next week crying. Um, thanks for that Roger Milford anyway that'll do us for today we'll be back with Adrian and Sam on Monday many thanks to Ross and Sam for their company today to Abby for knocking it all together and to you listener for your company as well we'll see you again on Monday until then have a good weekend bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything totally 
by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.